I'm surprised how few people actually have read their NDA <laughs> and have tried to <laughs> understand what is in there. One thing I did was writing an article about what I learned interning at IDEO. So I, I know I can go into specifics of projects, but I could still say like, hey, you know, I went to IDEO and I learned all these amazing things and these aren't NDA protected things. Hello and welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. I'm Austin, your host, and I am joined today by an awesome guest. Martine is an interaction designer with me at Google. Previously, he was at IDEO, and he's also been all over the world. He's originally from the Netherlands. He studied design in Sweden, and then he went to Germany, and then to France when he joined Google, and then now he's moved to San Francisco recently. And we thought it would be perfect to record an episode talking about the core elements of portfolios, how you build a great portfolio, why a portfolio is important, and some of the pitfalls that designers fall into and the things that they miss uh, when they're putting their portfolios together. We've obviously built our own. Uh, we've reviewed a lot through hiring processes. So we wanted to share sort of a comprehensive guide of our thoughts on what it means to build a good design portfolio. So Martine, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you here. Uh, thanks, Austin. I'm really, really excited to be chatting with you today about portfolios. It's a topic that I, I enjoy thinking about. I know that doesn't go for all people, but let's see what we can chat about today. Yeah, it's really a critical thing. It's difficult to overestimate the importance of a portfolio because it's uh, it's one of the most critical things, in my opinion, to developing a career in design. I think that that is a question that we get a lot of the time, right? Like, why should I have a portfolio? What's the purpose of having a portfolio? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it really depends, of course, to where you are in your career or what is it that you want to get out of it. I think in general, though, what I've noticed is that a portfolio can really help to connect you with other people. And if you bring your work out there, there's going to be people who's going to see it, people who might reach out to you um, saying, you know, they like your work or maybe they have projects or maybe there are some prospective clients there or maybe you're just looking for a job. And even in that case, you need people to to see your work and to to sort of advocate for you. So I think it can really help you to build awesome relationships and connections with people. Yeah, especially if it's in a format where people can discover it passively when even you're not looking for a job, it becomes a critical asset to your ability to market yourself, even when you don't really need it, right? And I think yeah. that a lot of great design careers are built off of the back of a portfolio that advocates for the designer well, even at times when it's not most expected. Uh, it's sort of that ongoing engagement, those connections that you build along the way that the portfolio can enable you to create. Sort of speaking of like building out that portfolio and making it discoverable, how do you start with building something like this? Like, obviously, there's a lot of different tools and approaches that you can take, and everybody has their their own opinion. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, you know, it can be a pretty daunting task. And I think for a lot of people, um, actually launching the portfolio is the biggest challenge. So what what most people do is they go to Dribbble and or they're inspired, they see an awesome portfolio and they start to browse around a little bit and see what is the kind of design that they would want to go for. And then maybe they continue a little bit, they open up Sketch or Figma and they start to play around with the design. Uh, maybe they look at WordPress themes or they get sort of stuck in a world of all the possible CMSs out there. And really, even if you would go on and design like that, it's pretty difficult. At, at some point you will hit a wall, you'll be like, wait a minute, what am I actually designing for? Uh, what is the content that's going to go in there, right? Like you're basically designing a wrapping paper, but you don't know what you're packing. And that's that's pretty difficult at some point. So that's kind of how I think most people approach it. They go design first, content second. But I, I think what, what has worked best for me is actually to start first with the content. So it means... Um, opening up a text writer and starting to write out content, make an outline or what are the uh, projects that you want to have in your portfolio and really starting to think about how to present that. What are the images you might need to present your work? And once you have sort of finalized that content piece, you actually know like, hey, wait a minute, my design needs to support a video that I have in every project or Mm -hmm. I want to allow people to comment on it and things like that. So yeah, that's that's something I would definitely recommend to start with the content first and then the design. Yeah. And really, I think that what you're recommending here at a greater level is to treat your portfolio as a design problem. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I've thought about in terms of like what the portfolio implicitly and explicitly communicates about a designer. I think that a lot of the time we focus on what it's explicitly communicating. But there are also many things that a portfolio implicitly communicates. One of them being that the portfolio itself is an artifact of the designer's work. Now, this can be somewhat of a controversial claim. Claim, but I prefer to approach my portfolio as if it is one of my projects mm. and to use it as, as an expression of the way that I approach design and the results that I create as a designer and the abilities that I have as a designer. And the best way to do that is to apply your proper design process to the process of creating your portfolio. And then what it's going to do is when hiring managers and recruiters are looking at it, they're, they're going to get a bunch of signals that tell them not just from your work, what you're capable of, but also from the thing which is presenting your work, the thing that also was a design problem, what you're capable of. And especially early in the process, it really is just a game of signals. A hiring manager may have like a very, very short amount of time. Same with a recruiter. They're looking through many, many portfolios to uh, figure out whether or not they should make the investment of moving forward with you. And the portfolio itself is part of what gives off those quick signals. Yeah. Yeah. I like that idea of treating your portfolio as a project in itself, because if you think about it, the portfolio is actually the only project that you do that your audience will definitely get to experience. Yeah. Versus like all the other projects that are on there that are maybe a video or something, but this is the one that people can actually feel and experience. And so because yeah. of that, it, it is potentially the most impactful one as well. 
Yes, it's also a project that you conduct without the constraints uh, that you face with many of like the the full blown projects that you're going to be showing in the portfolio itself. This is an opportunity for you to express yourself creatively and to not be held back by some of the limitations that you would be used to in a normal project. And in that respect, I think it's really nice to view a portfolio as a sandbox, a proving grounds, a learning opportunity for you to try new things, to express yourself, experiment with new technologies, even that you want to run on the portfolio portfolio itself. And many people actually, Lee Monroe, in a previous episode that we had on the UX and Growth podcast Mm. about uh, side projects, talked about using a side project as a way to sort of like perform R&D for things that you would bring back to your normal job. And I do the same thing with my portfolio. I will test new techniques, approaches to design new technologies on the portfolio, and then leverage that as a way to familiarize myself with those things that I can then bring back those learning to my work and then use that in like actually building a real product Mm. at Google or at HubSpot, et cetera. Mm, I like that as well. That's a great idea. I think another thought that that stuck with me when you were saying like people are not really approaching it like a a design project. I think that is also being expressed in in the fact that they don't really take a user-centered approach necessarily, Mm -hmm. which is you know, obviously, like rule number one, when you go out and design, like, who is your user? What's your goal with this project? But somehow with the portfolio, people completely forget about this. They don't define their audience, they don't define their goals. And like one way that sort of expresses that is the fact that in reality, the audience, for example, recruiters have very, very little time that they spend on your portfolio. Like maybe, let's say it's only one minute but people design their portfolio as if people are going to have half an hour of time to go through every project, read every little text. So that is, I think, a mistake that people should avoid is think about one minute and like how can I optimize my portfolio for a very short visit? And actually, like you can test this for yourself. Maybe like you set a one minute timer and you try to look at your portfolio for the first time and you will realize how little you will actually be able to see. And you also realize that things like transitions go into the way. Things like animations, um, very conceptual menus, these things all come into the way when, when it's really about using that one minute efficiently to convince a recruiter. I completely agree. That's as I've been conducting portfolio reviews with uh, people that I'm mentoring and, and working with. That's one of the bizarre pitfalls that I see people fall into a lot of the time is that they'll be showing me a project where they redesign the information architecture of a website or a product. And they'll be talking about like how much they reduced the friction of using the, the product with that information architecture. But then if you were to evaluate the information architecture of their own portfolio, you would see that they hadn't applied the same level of thought there and that actually they were inducing friction just in navigating a very, very simple site. Yeah, yeah. And like, I think that applies to a lot of decisions to be made when making a portfolio. Like another one is like how many projects to put in a portfolio. And I think about it as, you know, you might have one minute of your audience time Like you can spend it however you want, but if you're going to do eight projects, they're probably only going to see half of it. 
and you probably mm -hmm. don't know which ones they will be seeing. So most likely it could be the ones that you're not really proud of, but you just put in there just to be sure. So yeah, you have one minute, so spend it wisely and go yeah. for fewer projects and go more in depth instead. I agree. Typically what I've advised people to do is like three to five projects, which I think that in your guide, you said the same thing. This has sort of become hmm. a little bit of uh, an industry standard, I would say. Like if you're a product designer, you know, picking out those three to five intense case studies and then using some visual hierarchy to indicate to the user which projects they should view first hmm. and in what order. I think that that's a pitfall that people can fall into as well, like it, is um, having all of the entry points to each project being equally weighted. Like like in an equally sized grid. Mm. And then inevitably what the recruiter is going to do is probably click on the first or second one. Yeah. But if you can use some visual hierarchy to indicate, hey, this is like my hero project. This is the big one that we should really pay attention to. And then these other ones are supporting. Then it helps people to know, okay, if I've only got this one minute of time, this is where I'm going to spend it. Yeah. And I think also a lot of projects sort of implicitly communicates a lack of confidence, right? Then it's like, ah, you know, maybe a recruiter or maybe my audience would like this. Let's just put it in there. Like, even though it's some very unrelated kind of work, like maybe you've done mm -hmm. some music piece or something else, then you just put it in there just to be there. But, you know, in the end, it adds a lot to the noise. And like, yeah. also someone like you who gets to see a lot of portfolios on a day, in order to be remembered, you have to be very to the point and you have to be very straightforward and clear about who you are and like what kind of designer you are. But if you add a lot of noise to that, then you'll most likely be forgotten amongst all the other ones that you will get to see. Yeah, I, I totally agree. What you what you might be remembered for is the the difficulty and the friction that you caused to the recruiter or the hiring yeah. manager when they were trying to review your work. I think that that is that's another thing of like going back to this being ultimately a design problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> so thinking of that work, what are the types of things that like you should include in your portfolio? Because I agree with you, especially if like you're going for a product design role or a UX role, even showing like traditional graphic design or art, although tangentially related and arguably something that you can put in your portfolio as a little bit of an aside, mm -hmm. showcasing it as a core project can sometimes send the wrong message. And, and sometimes, like you said, people will branch out even beyond that into more abstract forms of creativity, which again, I think is okay as an aside to tell more about yourself, but not as like your core body of work. So if you have a lot of work, maybe you have 10 years of experience, or maybe you went to school for design and you explored a lot of different types of design. How do you decide which projects you should be including in your portfolio as like those core three to five case studies that you want to showcase mm, yeah this is always difficult because there will be a lot of projects you probably have some kind of emotional connection to like they're sort of your babies and you don't want to abandon them so you have to sort of kill your darlings um to go for <laughs> that like three to five projects so it's definitely not not easy but i think let's say in this case you want your portfolio to be used to define a job then you'll have to show the kind of work that you want to be doing more of. I think that is sort of the key. If you're going to be showing different kinds of work just because you loved it or you did something in the past, it's going to, again, be a very noisy portfolio with, with the audience not really understanding what kind of designer or what kind of 
engineer, let's say, or what kind of professional you are. So try to look at the ones that reflect well the kind of work you would be doing. And like this could mean that there's gaps there that you're lacking some projects. But there's other ways to start projects, like maybe a side project that really demonstrate like, hey, this is the stuff that I want to be doing more of. Mm -hmm. So once you know what projects you want to feature in your portfolio, how do you go about structuring and building out your case studies? That can be a really, really intensive process. Yeah, it's true. I think there's a couple of things to to include in case studies. Firstly, like why why are you doing this project? So this is basically the brief. And then secondly, how did you go about it? A little bit about your process. And then thirdly, what came out of it? So these three are definitely critical to include. What I what I've noticed is that often there's two narratives going on in a, in a case study and it can be a little bit difficult as an audience to understand which one is being chosen. One of the narrative being sort of more like a marketing point of view, like think about apple.com presenting their project, really like highlighting the features. And and I think this serves some kind of audience well, like the ones that are really just interested in, in the projects that you did and want to see some cool design. And then the second narrative is about the process that you went through. And, and I've noticed like trying to mix those two up can actually be quite confusing because you're both trying to sell the project. But then from a process point of view, you also should be honest about, hey, maybe this doesn't work so well, but then you're trying to sell this idea, right? So they, they are at conflict with another. And what I found is to just simply separate them on a case study page to be working best. What I typically start with in the top is being more of the, the marketing, like, hey, this is the final outcome. This are this is maybe a video or these are some really sleek hero shots. Um, these are the features explaining the project or the product that came out of it. And then taking a second narrative and making a clean cut and say, okay, this is the process. And, and in that process, you can be very honest and you can say, well, in fact, that feature that I talked about before maybe should have been framed differently or maybe I would have done something differently if I had more time or in reality, we weren't able to validate some of the things. But yeah, I found that worked pretty well. Yes, I think that is a critical point that you're making there. It's easy to fall into the trap of overselling your work mm. and presenting it as having been a perfect project that went off without a hitch. And that's because you're such an awesome designer and you've got such a great team and you guys created something that should win awards and that did everything it needed to do for the business mm. and everybody was happy. Yeah. But we all know that even in the best of circumstances, projects don't go like that. And I think it's easy, especially for more experienced hiring managers to see straight through that. And what's more interesting to see is what are the obstacles that you faced? How did you overcome them? And if you didn't overcome them, what did you learn and what would you do differently to overcome them or improve upon them in the future? So something that I recommend to students and designers that I'm mentoring is that at the end of their case study, they have a retrospective, just like you would hmm. in any other project where they take a critical eye to the work that they had completed and say, 
these are the things that went right and they're honest about them. And these are the things that went wrong. Here's what I learned and here's what I would do differently. It's a very, mm. very simple and straightforward thing to put together. In fact, you probably already have it written somewhere, mm. but it's just the act of putting it on the portfolio and getting over this sense that everything has to be presented as a form of perfection. Mm. Uh, and then you can get to the point where you're really, really talking about meaningful work. Yeah, I like that. You know, if I would see a, pe a person presenting a portfolio like that, as you're describing, I would really appreciate that and think about, oh, wow, this person has, you know, some reflective skills, understands that not everything has to be perfect and is honest as well in communication. I think that is far more important than to pretend like everything went well, like you said, because in reality, we know it didn't happen like that. Yeah. I think it's also important to demonstrate your process through your work with a case study. Ultimately, I think that the smart eye will view a case study not for like the work itself, yeah. at least in like the UX context, but more for the thought process and the way that the designer approached the problem and how they arrived at a solution. Did you uh, use some form of underlying or pre-existing data to help establish your goals and the challenges and the scope and requirements and constraints? Did you work within those constraints? Did you have the courage to break them when necessary and call that out. If you didn't have a base of data, did you conduct research yourself? And does that research show up in the final product and solution that you created? Or does it kind of drop off? Once you create that final product and solution, did, did you explore multiple different mm -hmm. uh, variations and directions to get there? Did you increase in fidelity over time? Or were you potentially wasteful and always working in high fidelity? Or maybe there was a reason at least explain it, right? Mm. And then when you hand that off, like the product that Eng created, was it similar to what you designed or were there changes and why? And ultimately, what were the real results, the tangible measurable results that were generated as a result of all of this? And does that tie back to the original goals, requirements and constraints that you talked about in the brief? Yeah, well said. And I think also a point you made earlier about how the portfolio itself is a project. And I think there's a lot of information there in the way a person decides to present their work. For example, yeah. like, is it very research focused? You know, you might assume that this person cares a lot about research. If it really goes into details of the sleek pixels, the visual design, then you, you also know how to interpret that. So there's a lot of information there that people look at, not necessarily about whether this was a, a financial dashboard or a weather app. I think that is not very important. Uh, like you said, it's much more about the process and the methods being used. Yeah. Speaking of expressing your process and worrying less about like the actual artifacts that were created, a lot of designers are working under NDAs. Hmm. And this is a problem that we hear a lot, right? Like, oh, I can't really talk about my work because of an NDA and I don't know what to do about that. What do you think about that? Like, how, how can designers show NDA-protected work on their portfolios? Yeah, it's true. It's, it's what I've heard a couple of people ask me as well. It's, it's tricky, especially once you are already in a job and you want to switch. Or, yeah, you've happened to work at a company with a lot of NDA-protected work. I'm surprised though how, how few people actually have read their NDA <laughs> and have tried to <laughs> understand what is in there. So I think that would probably be the first thing to do because maybe it's not as strict as you thought it was. Like maybe there are things you can say or maybe not. 
So that would be number one, I think. And then I would think about imagine a world where you are actually able to show your NDA work for a second and think about what is that, what is the function of that with regards to my portfolio as a whole? What are some things that I'm showing here that only this project is able to do? So like maybe you're thinking, well, I really want to have this project because I can show that I worked for this great client. Like I want to mention that client name. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I want to show my research skills or I, I want to show my process. And when you think about that and the value that the work would have normally without an NDA, you can think about, okay, now let's go back to reality. There is an NDA, but what is some of the value that I'm missing out now? For example, you know, you can easily create a section about clients I worked for and named up that great client. You don't necessarily need to do that in the project. One thing I did was writing an article about what I learned interning at IDEO. So I, I know like a lot of things I couldn't show, I couldn't go into specifics of projects, but I could still say like, hey, you know, I went to IDEO and I learned all these amazing things and these aren't NDA protected things. So I can still sort of demonstrate that. I think that worked pretty well. You can think about side projects as well as a way to demonstrate some of that missing value. You can think about, for example, doing a fictional project that could be slightly related to your actual job. But of course, you have to be careful in terms of the NDA. So the one thing that I haven't heard you say is, oh, just blur out the logo and the data Hmm. and show it that way. Or, oh, just put it behind a password. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I, I don't like that so much. I think it it sort of brings you out of the flow of, of a case study when you see something being blurred. It's a little bit like you're reading a book and then suddenly one page is being ripped out. You know, like you're like, okay, what mm-hmm. was there? It, it distracts a little bit. It puts a lot of focus on the thing that is being blurred rather than sort of the rest of the book. So yeah, I, I would try to avoid that if I could. And there's, yeah, there's ways to do that. Yeah. And personally, to me, the password route, what that communicates is, oh, you'll have me sign an NDA and then I'll just do the same thing to you <laughs> and actually show all of the work, but behind a password. Yeah. And I understand like the logic that would get somebody to arrive at the conclusion that it would make sense to use a password. But I totally agree with you. I think that really what you have to do is take a step back and say, well, what am I actually looking to get out of this mm. by showing it? And there are probably other ways that you can demonstrate that same value without harming or breaking your NDA or even getting into a gray area. The best thing that you can communicate to an employer is that you respect your agreement with them. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so now that we know how to structure your case studies and what you should do when you're dealing with an NDA, what about the platforms and technology that you build this stuff on? Like, mm. I know that, you know, there's a general push and pull between the idea of designing your portfolio for the web or for print or, you know, creating a, a theme from scratch or um, buying one or using like a prepackaged solution. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? How I think about web and print, I think I, I would always go for web because of the audience exposure possibilities with one exception, I must say, to go for print if if the tactile experience is really part of your job, like let's say you're a graphic designer 
and the the paper that you picked is a really important part of your expression, then it can make sense to go for print. But in most of the cases, I wouldn't go for print. I also see people sometimes make a PDF and then throw it online because they might as well throw it online. But that is more of a print first approach where you use the tools for print, such as InDesign, that are not really made for web. So you get a not so nice web experience of viewing a PDF. So I would also not recommend that. Also think about SEO. In terms of tools and CMS and all these things, these things are constantly changing. And I think you you have options out there that give you lots of freedom to, to play around with, to design for. And then ones that are way more restrictive, like Squarespace, to, to name one. And they can be quite frustrating because if you do want to have that flexibility, but it doesn't give you. But on the other hand, out of the box, you'll very, very quickly have a portfolio online. So it's like finding finding something that fits you well. And ideally one that really allows you to demonstrate your skills. So if if you are a designer, but you don't love to develop then picking a CMS that doesn't require coding, such as Webflow, would make most sense. Whereas if you're a great developer, but not such a great designer, it makes more sense to look at uh, maybe a theme out there that's already designed and use your development skills to, to hack it together. So yeah, so Webflow is a pretty good one. Previously, I liked Medium a lot as a platform because it was very content-centered, like we talked about before, but... Recently, they've started to, you know, add paywalls and, and you know, there's a risk there that you actually lose, lose quite some of the control also hosting on Medium. So I think WordPress is always pretty good. Samplis is, a, is an extension to WordPress that I've heard good things about as well. So these are things to check out. Personally, I used to, for like the first five versions, major versions of my portfolio, these things, of course, are living, breathing things yeah. that are always evolving. As soon as you finish one version, you're already working on the next one, right? Yeah. But yeah, the, the first five major versions of mine were on WordPress, okay. and I loved it. I would usually just get like a very, very simple free base theme, and then hand code a bunch of stuff, use a bunch of plugins and stuff like that to get the site to where I wanted it to be. My latest version is on Webflow. Mm. And I will say that even as somebody, you know, who is pretty comfortable coding their own website, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and some libraries and stuff like that could get a static site that, that would work pretty good or, or, you know, build something with a CMS like WordPress. Webflow has empowered me in ways that I really, really didn't expect it to. And it's totally changed the way that I approach designing my site hmm. because whereas with WordPress, when I would be putting together the design, I would always be working within the constraint of, do I actually know how to build this thing? Hmm. But with Webflow, it's, it's built in real code and it produces clean code. So you still work within those constraints, but because it's a visual editor, it's easier for you to envision like different design possibilities 
as you're literally building out the thing and just play around with things trial and error until you can get it to do what you want it to do. So I feel much less constrained and I feel like it's allowed me to express myself creatively a lot more than I ever could in the past. Like when I was building on WordPress, I always felt like, oh, you know, I need to hire a developer because even though I can build this, I, I, I know I could design something even better if I had a developer that could like build that really fancy stuff for me. And then another thing it's done for me is it saved me a ton of time. Mm, yeah, that's great. And also it makes me think that nowadays, like the tools have become really good. Like before I would be able to tell like, oh, this is a WordPress theme or I could, you know, totally see that in the front end. But today I won't be able to tell if it's custom coded or if it's Webflow or Samples. Like the tools really allow very unique expressive design. Yeah, I totally agree. Speaking back to when you were talking about like taking your PDF and putting it online, I remember from your portfolio guide, you had this awesome quote where you said that uploading your PDF as your online portfolio is like printing your website as your paper portfolio. And I, I have to agree with that. I, I think that it is awkward mm. to review a, a PDF online in the same way that it's awkward to review a website on a piece of paper. So this can be a huge daunting task that a lot of people embark on and frankly never finish. Mm. And it's really not worth starting if you're not going to finish, right? So how do you make sure that you're actually going to launch your portfolio? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. It is also a big challenge. And I think, I think it is also a perspective or a mindset. The seeing the launch as, as this final definite thing with lots of fireworks and celebration, like this project is done. And because people think about it as something that they cannot go back, they, they, they really set themselves unrealistic standards and they are quite perfectionistic about it. So I think it helps to think about the launch as something different, something that isn't final, but something you're just continuously iterating in public. So content first helps to make sure that your process is a little bit more organized so you have your content. And then what helped me before was to launch only one page or one section at the time. So really like breaking up the launch in smaller bits and not seeing them as final. So then sort of in the second iteration, I would maybe do another page and like maybe tweak the first one and to sort of order things in terms of priority. Because we said that, you know, your portfolio is really about connecting with other people. I think a contact page or, you know, a, a way to contact the person is probably the first thing that you want to have online. And even if your portfolio would be only that, it can already bring you some value when somebody reaches mm -hmm. out to you. So that's number one. And I think I would then continue with working on an about page, which really allows you to show a little bit more about yourself, help, help people get to know you. An about page, by the way, I think it's important to have a picture from yourself in it which I also see that a lot of people don't do for some reason, but I think it really helps to give a face to the work. 
again, like if you're yeah. seeing like hundreds of portfolios a day, you probably remember faces much more than you remember portfolios. So yeah, I agree. I was reviewing a portfolio with a designer today, and he said that he had read an article that said you either shouldn't have a photo of yourself on your portfolio, or if you do, it better be a professional headshot. And it was interesting to me how pretentious it was, mm. first off, to be that prescriptive. But also, I think that Really, you know, if you think about your portfolio as a, a way of expressing yourself, your personal brand and your the ad that you bring to a team, the value that you bring to a team, the culture that you carry with you mm. to add to a team, it's so much more than just the work. You know, if this were if this were just about work, machines could do the hiring for us. I think being able to express yourself through photos or through the way that you write the copy on your portfolio. All of these things come together to give a picture of who you are as a person. And it's up to the hiring manager in this case to ensure that that doesn't bias them hmm. in the process. And a lot of good companies have put the gates into place to ensure that that can't happen. But really, your audience is bigger than just that, even, you know, you're, you're talking to other designers, mm. you're talking to people that are tangentially related to design that maybe wouldn't hire you, but would somehow be related to your career or the things that you are passionate about. And I think feeling comfortable being you being who you are and talking about who you are and expressing yourself through photos, or through however you want to express yourself on your portfolio. It's a positive thing. Hmm. It's not something that is breaking some weird arbitrary rule. Yeah. The portfolios that you remember are, are often very unique to that particular person. Like it's very much like the person, like nobody else would be able to make that portfolio. So I really yeah. feel like if you want to stand out, all you really have to do is be yourself. And and like, I'm not talking about like doing crazy uh, menu or navigations or these kind of things are maybe not the best way to experiment with, but but you know, an about page is a great way to show more of yourself because you know, in the end of the day, if you're looking for a job, uh, people are going to be thinking, okay, can this person do the work? Number one, if so, would this person be fun to work with? Number two, and like the about page really helps you to to yeah to show something from yourself. Great. So now that you've launched your portfolio and you've got all of your NDA stuff figured out, you've mm. got the case studies, you are convinced to switch from a PDF to a website. How do you make sure that you get the most out of it? Like what are the best ways to use your portfolio and put it to work? Yeah, that's a good question. I wonder also, what do you think about that? You know, obviously, yeah. if you would have a portfolio for web, which is something I recommend is that you can really use that to make sure lots of people get to see your work. Some things I did before was like applying to these award sites. And like, I didn't care so much about winning that award, but it was more about like, it was another platform where you could put your portfolio and then people would come and visit or sharing it on social media platforms like Twitter. If your portfolio really becomes this place where you regularly do updates or regularly provide new content that applies to your audience they're most likely going to come back more and more whereas you know if this thing just dies out there's no reason for people to come back if there's no value for them like 
you know, this could be valued in different ways. Like maybe you're offering some of the things that you worked on for free, you open source your sticker sheets or whatever it is. This gives people a reason to return. So that sort of maximizes the, the, the potential of your portfolio. Yeah, you absolutely don't just want to have that one recruiter or that one hiring manager putting their eyes on your portfolio. If you're playing the long game, you're recognizing that having eyes beyond design and beyond hiring managers and recruiters within design, in fact, all the way down to interns and individual contributor designers, the people that will be your collaborators, your leaders, your opportunity givers in the future, mm. it's good to have their eyes on your work now and to establish yourself in their minds uh, and to build your brand in that way. And many of the best designers in the industry, I think you'll observe, they don't just have work mm. on their portfolio. It's not just, hi, I'm a designer. This is the work that I've done. They've gone beyond that. It's a lot of the time, I think, a fairly natural thing that comes to them because they're expressing their passion for design and they would go beyond just the work anyway, because that's what they enjoy doing. And, and that kind of then becomes a little bit of a a reinforcing cycle where then they become a better designer and become more well-known because of it. But I think that it's not an accident that great designers are writing, hmm. that they are doing things like this, like a podcast, that they are building open source resources, like you mentioned, with a sticker sheet or things that you can use as tools in design. And that's driving value for their audience beyond just them showing off their work, which don't get me wrong, can be very valuable mm. and inspirational to a designer. But there is, of course, much more that one can derive from a portfolio site when it's built out beyond just the work. And then at that point, you can start to treat it almost like it's a little business, right? Like mm. I run analytics on my site. I'm paying attention to the usage, like how much traffic I'm receiving, how they convert, what they're looking at, and like what content is driving them in, and then at what point they're leaving the site. How are they retaining? Are there repeat visitors? And there's even ways to tell, you know, geographically and through some other means, like whether you're hitting the right audience and you're getting in front of the right people. And this can help you to optimize the site beyond just the audience that you would garner up by submitting your link in a job application mm. and taking it to another level where it's showing up in organic search when somebody searches awesome UX designers or great product design portfolios. And then you become a thought leader in your industry. Mm, yeah. And that is really next steps, right? Like that is really to use your portfolio in the most effective way, sort of in a long-term game. But also recognizing there's a bunch of people probably also listening who who don't know what CMS to use or are stuck with what kind of projects or are stuck with NDA. So, you know, like we said, like first take it step by step and launch one page and another one and another one and then see it more as a as a marathon rather than a sprint. I completely agree, Martine. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks. I think that this information is going to be super illuminating and very tactically useful to our audience. If folks want to get in touch with you to ask questions about portfolio related stuff or to see how you're doing, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, sure. So if anybody has any questions, I'm really happy to answer. And I think Twitter is probably the best way to, to contact me. 
or otherwise through my portfolio contact page. Awesome. We'll drop those links into the description. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be right back.